Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Clayton Van Huss reveals the prophecy of the star and the scepter. First, though, I want to personally invite you to come and join us at one of our upcoming events. Our first event of the new year is just a few days away, February 16th and 17th in the Tampa Bay, Florida area. Is America in Bible prophecy? Find out from Donald Perkins. The latest details on the march toward a one-world system will be revealed, biblical mysteries will be uncovered, and you'll learn how to have true spiritual victory in the invisible war on the saints. Biblical artifacts from Israel will be on display with an archaeologist ready to answer your questions. Friday and Saturday, February 16th and 17th at Hicks Road Baptist Church. Call 1-800-652-1144 for more information or visit the events page at our website swrc.com. Tickets for this special event are free, but seating is limited, so don't be left behind. Register today. 1-800-652-1144. Last October, Clayton Van Huss was a speaker at our Columbus, Ohio conference. Today, we're going to listen to a portion of his presentation on the prophecy of the star and the scepter. It's so great to be with you guys, to be here with fellow believers, to be able to talk about the Bible, to be able to talk about some of the, the, uh, the illumination that we can get through the culture and history of the people and the time of the Bible. And so Affirm Ministries, yes, is our new uh, apologetics branch. And one of my favorite areas of apologetics is archaeology. Maybe that's why I'm an archaeologist. And uh, so, so I like to share through what we find. Now, I want to explain to you right up front that archaeology is not going to prove the Bible. We're not going to dig something up and be like, okay, we just proved all the miracles. My, my mentor, Dr. Scott Stripling, uh, he's fond of saying, look, maybe I can prove to you that Jesus died on a cross. What I can't prove to you is that he died on the cross for your sin and rose again the third day and has made a place for you. He said, I, I can't prove that to you. That's up to the Holy Spirit. So what, what archaeology does is it illuminates the text. And so understanding things in the cultural, historical uh, background, the, the way that the original reader would have understood it, that's what it helps. And that's the apologetics of it. This is why it's important. Because people are going to say, oh, this is just an old book that was written by some people back in the Bronze Age. Hey, at least they get that part right. Uh, it was written by some people back in the Bronze Age, and they don't, you know, whatever. No, no, this is a collection. This is a library of books written over a period of time by different authors. These are ancient texts. And people will say, well, you can't trust the Bible for history because it's religious. I don't know if you've ever read an inscription by any pharaoh or any king in the ancient Near East. It's always, this God did it. This God did it. There's not an ancient text that's not religious, okay? It's just the way it works. There is something within us. We know there is a God. And so we, we know that, that with uh, apologetics, the whole idea is that we are putting together a case file, right? So if, if you look, I have a lot of experience uh, in the courtroom on my TV screen. I know how to say objection, right? I've watched enough, enough of those. But we understand that if you're a lawyer, a defense lawyer, or even if you are uh, a prosecutor, you've got a file, right? You've got your evidence, you've got, your th you've got what you're gonna say, 
And that's what we need to have. That's what Peter tells us to have, is to have that apology, that, that apologia, that uh, it's not a I'm sorry apology, it's a case file. So, you know, in, in Romans, in Romans 1, I believe it's 120, where it says that those who deny God are without excuse. That word excuse, you know what that word is? Oh, it's the same word, apologia. They are without a case. You got that? As Christians, we have a case, and we should be studious. Second Timothy, uh, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We have a studied case file. God gave us a mind. Be ready for having an answer for the, the, the hope that is within you. So I'll, I'll go ahead because if I don't stop here, I'm going to take your whole, whole morning. You'll skip lunch. It's terrible. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, a prophecy. And everybody knows the story of Balaam. We'll get into that here in a minute. We're going to do some introductory matters. We're going to talk about a prophecy that he made. Uh, I want to introduce myself just a little bit here. And my clicker is not moving things now, now that I've got the slideshow going. Yeah, push it harder. I'll, I'll mash it, right? Um, so, okay, all right. Come on. Exactly. Well, see, the problem is now I can't even get the, uh, the whole thing. To, to, I can't use the, the pad. We want to see the slideshow. Let's see here. Let's try this. Nope. So I'm going to have to stand up here and change slides. My whole plan is, is <laughs> oh, there it is. It's working now. All right. So uh, yes, I dig with Associates for Biblical Research. You can look them up. Um, you can dig with us too. I'm going to throw a little commercial in. Uh, go to digshiloh.org because we dig at Shiloh. Shiloh was the first capital of Israel. It stood there in the, in the northern, what they call the West Bank now, Judea and Samaria. It was the capital of Israel for over 300 years. The tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant stood there. Uh, Eli died there in the gate. And we believe we have both of those things. We believe that we have the tabernacle. Uh, we believe that we have the, the gate where Eli died. So these are our new things. Uh, this is our team. This is our staff. We had over 220 volunteers this summer. Largest dig in the Middle East. So we're digging at Shiloh. If this picture looks familiar, uh, it's in our calendar, our Hidden Israel calendar. I took this picture during a lightning storm. This is not photoshopped. The one in the calendar is darkened a little to make it look a little cooler. But this is the actual raw picture uh, of the lightning storm over Shiloh. And if I've watched enough Indiana Jones movies, I have learned when you see purple lightning, be careful. Especially when you're where the Ark of the Covenant stood for over 300 years. So, and we believe it's right below this, this building that we call the UFO. It's a visitor center. It's Beautiful building, and I say that with all sarcasm. So I want to tell you what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick little detour that was not originally part of this presentation, um, but with things that are going on right now, I just want to step in real quickly here and um, with a little email that I got this morning, I want to show you something cool. So I don't know if you've seen this in the news, the, the cursed tablet from Mountie Ball, anybody seen that? Okay, we, we have some here. I'm, I'm not surprised. Not surprised at all. So it was my mentor, Scott Stripling, who found this curse tablet. Actually, it was our wet sifting expert, Frankie Snyder, who found it. But Scott's the excavation director, so he gets the credit. So this tablet was found in what we believe is the altar of Joshua. 
from the uh, curses and blessings uh, ceremony that was given at Shechem from Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim. This was done after they conquered the cities of Jericho and Ai. This lead tablet's about the size of a, a Cheez-It, and um, it's got a curse. We know what a lead tablet is. It's a curse, and they, they write a curse on it. They fold it up, and they throw it somewhere sacred down in a well, because that's an entrance to the underworld, right? In a cave, in a temple. This was found in conjunction with a small altar that dates to around 1400 BC. Perfect time for Joshua. It has the world's oldest alphabet inside. Uh, what you're gonna see here, you see that? It looks like little pictures. They come from hieroglyphs. We know that the, the Canaanite, Phoenician, Hebrew alphabet, they all use the same one. It came from Egyptian hieroglyphs. And my Hebrew professor did a lot of the work on this uh, alphabet. Uh, but inside this tablet is, is a curse written in this world's oldest alphabet. By the way, what you're looking at right there, this is the name of God. Uh, what you are looking at, you're used to the tetragrammaton with the four letters. This is an earlier form with three. Yod Oh, let's go back. <laughs> yod Hey wal So we've got Yahoo or Yahweh. And so here, and it's written left to right on this one. At this time, they hadn't established left to right, right to left. It could be top to bottom. Never bottom to top, though. So what we've got right here, we've got the yod Hey wal So we have the, the name of God. This is the first Hebrew form of the name of God that's ever been found. And so this has undergone peer review. So... Uh, you know, there's a lot of arguing, arguing back and forth. Biblical minimalists, people who don't like to use the Bible, are going to say, ah, there's nothing there. I, I've seen people say, there, there's not even any letters in there. I, I've seen them. I mean, <laughs> what's this? And it's a known alphabet. We know what this is. So anyway, inside, and I'm going to speed up here so we can get to the, to the uh, presentation, but inside is a chiastic curse. By chiastic, that's a mirror image. Starts one way ends that way, goes somewhere else, same thing here, and then in the middle they meet. Uh, the flood story in Genesis is told as a chiastic poem. A lot of the Old Testament is told this way. It's just, it's a Hebrew art form, it's beautiful. So what we have, and it's, it, the, the, the uh, translation can, it's a little fluid, but this is the original uh, that they read, is cursed, cursed, cursed. Cursed by the God Yahweh, you will die cursed. Cursed, you will surely die. Cursed by Yahweh. Cursed, cursed, cursed. Wow, that's curses. A lot of curses. And I've heard people say, oh, that, that's not in the character of God. Go read Joshua chapter 8. Go read about this. They stood on one mountain with the Ark of the Covenant in Shechem. Six of the tribes said, blessed is the man who honors his parents. Right? Just like the Bible says. On the other side from Mount Ebal, they said, cursed is the man who dishonors his parents. They went back and forth over the Ark of the Covenant with the law, with the body of Joseph there in Shechem. This was an amazing that Moses told them to do this. So this is a huge deal in Israel's history. Y'all, this is coming out of the ground. Is that not amazing? People say, oh, the Exodus and the conquest never had the Exodus and conquest stand together. Here's the conquest. And another cool thing, if you know the documentary hypothesis, they never used El and Yahweh together in the same, at the same time, so therefore it's different authors who wrote over different periods. Well, El, Yahweh, is right there in the tablet. Boom, I, I love it. So what I want to get to, that the, I got the email, I just kind of wanted to share with you guys. 
First of all, archaeology teaches us a lot about the current situation in Israel. We find when we dig, we find Israelite artifacts. We find Hebrew artifacts. We're digging in Shiloh. We're finding the tabernacle. We're finding altar horns. We're finding pomegranates. We're finding a, a sacrificial deposit where two-thirds of the bones are from the right side of the animal. Anyone know what that is? That's the priest portion. That's not getting burned up on the altar. That's being eaten and then dumped in. That's why two-thirds of the bones come from that side. Pretty amazing, isn't it? So here's an interesting thing. Uh, we, we don't find, by the way, Palestinian. When we scratch the surface, when we first start, we find bullets and shrapnel. That's about as close as we're going to get to Palestinian archaeology. So I got this today. This is a 155 millimeter artillery shell. I know this because my brother told me he got blown up by one once. Uh, this is uh, an Israeli artillery shell. And you know, we write stuff on our bombs and things, right? I've actually got a Roman sling bullet up here with a trident and a bundle of lightning bolts on it. We've been doing this for thousands of years. So the Israelis have written something on here. This is the Mounty Ball curse tablet. Here it is. Arur Le'el Yahu, cursed by the god Yahweh. Here it is. Arur Lahu, cursed by Yahweh. Arur, 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 cursed. They're shelling this into Gaza. You will die cursed. So do not mess with the Israelis today. Um, Hamas is not a joke. Hamas is dirty. Hamas is bad. I have seen firsthand with my own eyes what they do. Um, and I'm, I, we can talk about that later, but not right now. So let's jump into our prophecy. First of all, Balaam. What do we know about Balaam? Now, you've probably heard about Balaam in Sunday school. You've seen cute little flannel graphs and all of that sort of thing. Balaam was a prophet. Was he a false prophet? Uh, no, he was a prophet who spoke truth. He was an evil prophet. He was a wicked prophet. Where was he from? Was he a Moabite? Was he a Canaanite? Was he a Hebrew? Was he a Syrian? He was a Syrian. He was, he was uh, from the place uh, Aram, which is modern Syria. He actually, uh, we'll look at where he was from in a second. Uh, he was called down by the king of Moab. Let's, let's set a little history here. So the Israelites have come up from wandering in the wilderness. They are now camped at the city of Shittim on the east side of the Jordan River. They're in the Jordan Rift Valley, just north of the Dead Sea. So they're camped at Shittim, and the king of Moab is scared to death. And he's like, I don't know what we're going to do. These Israelites have, have killed everyone. We want them gone. Let's curse them. We know a guy who does curses. Let's get him. He's way up in Syria, but let's get him down here. And so they do. They, they call on Balaam. What we know about Balaam usually, um, he had a donkey. And the donkey talked, right? So our takeaway in Sunday school from those flannel graph lessons is, yeah, this guy had a talking donkey. All right, cool. Let's go on to the next lesson. And we miss all the really cool stuff. We might take out that he blessed Israel instead of cursed them. Okay, that's great. So Balaam had a talking donkey who has nothing to do with his story right now. We're just going to throw that out. I'm so sorry, but I wanted the cute donkey. By the way, it's a fake donkey. It doesn't exist. It's all AI. Yay. We're excited about that, aren't we? Uh, so here's, here is something interesting. This is a, a model. This is a model of a liver. This is a sheep's liver. Uh, this one's from Mesopotamia. You'll see cuneiform writing on it. And you see all those little holes? This is a training tool. Why am I showing you a picture of a clay model of a liver? 
Well, because one thing that Balaam was, was a diviner. He was a seer. What do you do? You cut the liver out of an animal. You look at it and you say, oh, it's got a bump here. It's got a scar here. It's, oh, it's got a disease here. It's really bad for you. You interpret that stuff. So this is kind of a, a, a training tool for diviners. See all the little holes? You know when you go to Cracker Barrel and you play the little golf tee thing? You know, that's, that's what this is. So the, the guy's like, okay, let me look at this liver. Uh, let me put a peg here. Oh, the cuneiform writing on there tells me that this is a, oh my goodness, all of your children are gonna be born naked and illiterate. So, you know, I mean, this, is, this is how it works. This is one of the things Balaam does. So Balaam, I said, was from Syria. He was from the town of Pethor, which is uh, way up on the Euphrates River. It's near Carchemish. It's um, maybe 12 miles from the Turkish border. And so he's up here, he gets the message, and he's got to go down to the Dead Sea, down to Mount Nebo, down to Moab. It's 365 miles as the crow flies. And you don't go down through the desert, you go through the green stuff if you want to live. So remember that, that's, that's important for other things. So, who is Balaam? Well, interestingly, we have evidence of Balaam outside the scriptures. Now, we don't put more value on things outside the scriptures, but when the skeptic says, eh, it's just made up in the Bible, hold on, if it was made up in the Bible, why is it here? Now, this is definitely from a later time. This inscription is uh, called the Book of Balaam, because that's how it starts out. The Book of Balaam, son of Beor. Same Balaam we read about in the Bible. And what is going on in this inscription? He's cursing people. He's cursing people in the names of various gods. He's calling on the gods and he's cursing people. This is what he's known for. So in the Bible, when the king of Moab calls him down to curse the Israelites through Yahweh, well, that makes sense because that's what Balaam does. So here's where it was found. It was found at uh, Deir Allah. By the way, if you see Deir, deer, uh, in Arabic uh, place names, that means that was once a Christian settlement. It's, it's a later name. Um, so when you see that, you know that Christians at least once lived there. So it was found on the wall, it was plaster, it had crumbled in an earthquake. This inscription dates to after the time of Balaam. It dates to the Iron Age. So, okay, so Balaam, let's say he's around 1400 BC. This is going to go somewhere around 800 BC, 700 BC. So this is later, but it tells us that Balaam was known. Balaam was remembered. So here's our archaeological evidence of it. So already we're seeing a little more than we get on the flannel graph in Sunday school, aren't we? So what, what, uh, what's Balaam's deal? Here's, I just, I just want to throw this up here uh, to remember that, Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Um, somebody was talking about Phineas earlier. Uh, someone who is called to break a curse, to end. I think that was, that was Jonathan Kahn, wasn't it? <laughs> Talking about that, that spirit, someone who steps in to do that. That's from this situation. Uh, the Bible indicates here that when the Israelites committed fornication with the women of Moab, that it was uh, Balaam who instigated them to do that. And then what they do, they killed him. Uh, remember that. So Balaam comes down and he's asked by uh, Balak, the king of Moab, to go up on the mountains and to curse Israel. So he goes up and he looks out and he starts to curse, but instead he blesses. And so Balak's like, that, that's not cool, dude. I, I'm paying a lot of money to have you come down here. I will give you more money if you'll just curse them. All right, well, tell you what, let's move over to the next mountain. So the next mountain is uh, Mount uh, Nebo which is also uh, Pisgah. This is where Moses died. 
okay? So what are we looking at here? Uh, we are looking at the Jordan Rift Valley. You can see right here the Dead Sea, and we have this plain. You see all the grass? This is the well-watered plain. And then we have Israel on that side of the river. So Balaam is up here trying to curse, and it doesn't happen. But he's looking over here. He's looking at a place that you can actually see from up here. Uh, this is a site that we call Talel Hammam. Talel Hammam is believed by almost every biblical archaeologist to be the site of Shittim. It was an important city when uh, the Israelites came in. So this is where the Israelites are camping. Uh, I know the archaeologists who dig there. Uh, they are from Trinity Southwest down in Arizona, uh, New Mexico. And they believe they're digging in Sodom. It's possible. A meteor blew up over top of the city. You may have seen documentaries on this. A meteor blew up right over top, leveled the city. It evaporated uh, parts of the Dead Sea. The salt came and blasted. We find uh, melted pottery and mud brick. Skeletons just encrusted in salt. Kind of makes you think of Lot's wife, doesn't it? I don't know. The timing is weird. I'm not convinced. But it's interesting. But what we do agree on is that it's most likely it's the site of Shittim. So he's looking at this site. And uh, as he looks at this site, he utters not just a blessing, but a prophecy. And this prophecy has been the foundation of many, many beliefs, many books, many uh, talks from this time, from around 1400 BC to the Israelites, this prophecy was important. He said, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. That's Numbers 24, 17. This is what's known as the Balaam prophecy, the prophecy of the star and the scepter. And that's not really a hard concept for us to understand. What's he talking about, right? He's, he's right, right. We're looking at this. This is believed to be a messianic uh, prophecy. So all throughout Israelite history, they're going to be looking for this star, for this scepter. And I've read a whole lot of commentaries. I've watched a whole lot of sermons on this. And we get the scepter. Everybody gets the scepter. The thing that gets skipped is the star. It always gets missed. This is where a cultural, historical understanding makes you go, okay. And so we're going to get to that. First, let's talk about the scepter. You like my king? I was so happy with this one. I love AI. I shouldn't say that, right? Uh, so what is a scepter? We all know what a scepter is. It's this golden stick with jewels on it. And the king points it at people, and he's like, all right, I like you. You can have some land. You off with your head. You know, whatever. It's, it's the king's symbol of authority. Yes, it's the king's symbol of authority. But if we're going to go back to the Bronze Age, what is a scepter? The people, the Moabite people and the Israelite people who are receiving this prophecy, they are getting something that, that we usually don't because a scepter was something else. Now, this is Seti I. Uh, in front of him is the god Amun. Behind him is the god Knum. I know this, this is weird stuff. Uh, but but uh, Amun is handing him some of the badges of his office. He's handing him two things. One is a kopesh, a sickle sword. Can you see that in there? 
there's a sickle sword, but there's something else. There's a ball on a stick, right? It's a scepter, right? It is, but it's something other than a scepter. It is the weapon of a king. Remember the prophecy says that uh, this, this person, this Messiah, this coming person is going to smash the forehead of Moab and destroy the children of Sheph with his scepter. Why? Because a scepter is a mace. The mace was the weapon of kings. You see it in Mesopotamia, you see it in Egypt, you see it in Assyria, you see it all over the ancient Near East. This is the famous Narmer palette. We looked at it before. Uh, and so we're gonna skip the creatures on the front. Um, we can talk about those in private if you want, but we're gonna go ahead and zoom in on Narmer himself. Narmer is the, the, the one who founded the Egyptian dynasties. It's possible, some people think he may be King Scorpion as well, but Narmer is, is the guy who brings Upper and Lower Egypt together and forms the first dynasty. What is he doing? He's holding what in his hand? He's holding his scepter, which is what? A mace. What's he got in his left hand? He's got his enemy. And what's he going to do? He's going to smash his forehead. You see where we're going with this? This is Bronze Age imagery. When you think of a scepter smashing the forehead, you think of a conquering king. He's holding his enemies by the hair. In fact, we're going to jump up here to good old Pharaoh Thutmosis III. I believe he is the brother, the half-brother of Moses. Uh, we see his little cartouche up there. So we know it's him, but you can see he's holding many enemies by the hair, and he's got his mace raised over his head. Uh, he is famous because he conquered the Levant. Canaan, all the way down from Egypt up into Turkey, he took it. He fought at the Battle of Megiddo, and he said, when you take Megiddo, it is like taking a thousand cities. And he's right. There was a whole confederation of Canaanite and Hittite kings up there, and so he fought them and he, and he conquered them. And so a lot of people don't realize this, the Exodus, when, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and went into Canaan, they weren't coming out of Egypt because Canaan belonged to Egypt as well. Now, at this time, Egypt was very weak in Canaan. And there are uh, artifacts, there are letters that were written from the kings of Canaan to Egypt that talk about help, help. We're being taken over by nomads and we need soldiers, but Egypt's not sending soldiers. That's a whole nother thing. So we see here that, that, that this weapon, this mace, is a, it's not just the weapon of kings, by the way. It is the weapon of deity. It's the weapon of gods. Now here is one, and uh, we're very familiar with this guy. His name is Baal Hadad. Baal Hadad is the god of Canaan. He is the god of um, Phoenicia. Uh, Baal Hadad, Lord Hadad, we just call him Baal right? That's what you hear in Sunday school. Notice Baal Hadad has raised over his head his mighty mace. We've been listening to a portion of a presentation Clayton Van Hus gave at our Columbus, Ohio Prophecy Conference last October. The entire presentation entitled The Star and the Scepter is now available on DVD. Call and order your copy when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order on our website, swrc.com. Also available for the first time is the entire Columbus Conference. All 12 speakers, 20 total presentations, one complete DVD set. And part of the complete set is Jonathan Kahn's presentation on the Josiah Manifesto. Order the complete Columbus Conference DVD set today when you call one 800 652 1144 
That's 1-800-652-1144. Lord willing, we'll be back here Monday, ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. Head into the weekend with the encouragement that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.